you found the Knight's Chapel podcast. I'm James Nelson. The truth exists. It can be known. And he is seeking you. Of all of the dangerous things I've ever seen, the most dangerous is an unchallenged assumption. An unchallenged assumption is more dangerous than a spoken lie, even one that is believed. Because not only is the unchallenged assumption potentially wrong, but it hides. It's a lie in stealth mode that never has the opportunity to be examined. And it is the discerning eye It is someone with the gift of discernment that spots the unchallenged assumptions everywhere they hide, brings them into the light, accepts them if they need to be, but in honesty, and rejects them and purges them out of our thought process when, if and as, they should be. One of the problems with an unchallenged assumption is that when fed to an immature mind, when fed to the mind of a child, now you have two layers of encryption that you have to break through. And because you've done this at the most formidable, uh, uh, formative, I should say, a period in a child's life where they are most likely to accept what is given to them by those in authority, but because it's packed into their minds in the form of an assumption, they never have the opportunity to examine whether those things are true. One such assumption is the assumption that circular reasoning is and always will be a bad thing. Now, I should define my terms here. A a piece of circular reasoning or a a self-validating truth um, is something which is either self-causing or self-validating. In other words, it's an essentially unchallengeable thing that you're not allowed or by design you cannot its point of origin or causation. In Richard Dawkins' book, The God Delusion, he attempts to place the God of the Bible in just such a category. And he asks the question, if God if if God created the world, then who created God? The problem with this assumption is that no one believes in a created God. The Jews don't believe in a created God. The Christians don't believe in a created God. The Muslims don't believe in a created God. The Buddhists don't believe in a created God. Nobody believes in a created God. God is, by definition, that transcendent being that antedates time and is responsible for the creation of all other things. So the moment that you beg the question about the point of origin of God, it only demonstrates one thing that you do not understand the subject you're attempting to engage in. You do not understand what God is when we discuss God. Now, granted, it is true that you have certain of the pagan gods that uh, one birthed another, or that they are gods of phenomena, and so you have the underlying assumptions that either uh, one god was birthed by another, or that this is the god of phenomena, and so then you engage in the fallacy of, well, all gods represent the god of the gaps, and the more that we know about various phenomena in the world, whether it be the oceans or whether it be thunder and lightning or earthquakes or what have you, that the more that we know about those, the less we need God as an explanatory item. That that God, we no longer need God as an explanation for those phenomena because we understand those phenomena. But when we discuss the God of the Bible, we're not talking about the God, a God that needs explanation. We're talking about the God that is the explanation for everything that we see, including time. And the reason that I touched on this early in the conversation when starting these podcasts 
was so that we understood that the only God that needs a cause is a God that exists inside of time. The moment that you have a God that is the creator of time, he no longer needs a cause because he's, he had no beginning. Beginnings exist in time. Uh, time necessitates by the fact that it's a direct causal link from cause to effect that anything that had a beginning had a cause. Because we're talking about a God that is outside of time, that he antedates time, that he had no beginning, therefore he need no cause, now we begin to understand what God we've taken up with when we try to discuss him. One of the dishonest problems with atheistic, reductionistic, uh, big bang and, and evolution type explanations of the universe is the assumption that they do not engage in circular reasoning. But you see, before you have any of the bits of the universe that they want to give credit for causing the universe to come into being, you have to ask, well, where did that come from? Well, where did that come from? Well, where did that come from? To the point and to the degree that now there is an explanation where when I was younger, there was no explanation for that. They, they recognized that that was a problem very readily. But now we have quantum mechanics. And the magical thing about quantum mechanics is it doesn't have to follow any of the logical rules that science is built upon, because now you can have something that is self-creating. Well, wait a second, how do you have something that's self-creating? If it was wrong for a Christian to talk about a self-creating God, which we never did, that's the thing. The God that we're talking about is not self-creating. He wasn't created by anyone, including himself. He simply was. And there is the difference between a God that is self-existent and a God that is self-creating. But they ex they went forward very boldly with quantum mechanics, saying that the universe is somehow self-creating. Problem. How does something self-create? You have to not be enough to need to be created, but you have to be enough to do the creation. So you have to be and not be inside of the same context and at the same time. That would have been wrong reasoning if we were guilty of it as Christians. It is wrong reasoning when the atheists engage in it as an explanation for the universe. Because in the final analysis, among the realities that exist is time, space, matter, energy, and all the laws that govern. Well, my goodness, where's the explanatory power in evolution for any of that? When I say evolution, I'm not just talking about the origin of life. I'm talking about the origin of the universe. There's multiple kinds of evolution, and I'm talking about the evolution that brings the universe itself into being. Um, Richard, I'm sorry, not Richard Dawkins, but uh, Stephen Hawking once said that because there is a law of gravity, the universe can and will create itself out of nothing. Wow, I feel like Mark Hamill's character of Luke Skywalker, where he says, amazing, everything you just said was wrong. And the only remarkable thing about that statement is, is how many wrong assumptions he made, how many different wrong categories, categories of, of, of wrong assumptions were packed into that single statement. As I've already discussed, you'd have to be and not be in the same time and in the same context. The other problem is, is that laws are not creative. They are descriptive. They are predictive. They will tell you what will happen under certain circumstances, and they will tell you what has happened because of certain circumstances. That's what laws do. Laws will never move a billiard ball across the table, but they will tell you what will happen to that billiard ball under certain circumstances, and they will explain what has happened to a billiard ball under those circumstances. But a law never once set a billiard ball 
into motion in and of and by itself. But as much as we need to be aware of the changing definition of words and how that represents thought control, mind control, social engineering, so too do the logical syllogisms, the assumptions, the unspoken assumptions that we are bombarded with all the time, and particularly in our educational process. Because at the onset of our educational process, there is the conversation about how we came to be and the fact that how we came to be is tied up with how we define ourselves, how we behave, and how we perceive our futures. The fact that that is forced and foisted upon us at the stage of life that it is represents a form of brainwashing because it interferes with our free will by frustrating our active intellect. More on this in just a couple minutes. question emerges, is there any other area of life where we accept self-validating truth? Is there any other area of life where we will accept circular reasoning? And the answer, shockingly, is not only yes, but to what degree and where and how precious we find that. I wonder if you paused the podcast at this moment, if you could anticipate where it is that I'm going. In no less than the Declaration of Independence... You talk about those items that need to be reasonable because we're going to conduct our affairs by them. One of the most organic sources of law, there's four organic sources of law in the United States. There's the Bill of Rights, there's the Constitution, there's the Declaration of Independence, and there's the Northwest Ordinance. That's kind of an interesting one. Um, I'll have to pick up at another time. But in the Declaration of Independence, it says, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of of happiness. Now, one could readily credit the founding fathers with simply being naive, that they lived in a more primitive time and they followed an Iron Age religion, but the logic that they're engaging in was actually very, very tight logic. And, and usually in our day and age, this is missed because they said that these rights were self-evident, that they were unalienable. Why? Because they were a bestowment from our creator. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. So when the government or any entity claims to be the one who has gifted you with your rights, that's a very dangerous, unspoken assumption. 
In fact, governments in this conversation, in, in the Declaration, don't even come until later. It is actually after this that the, that the Declaration goes on to say um, that to secure these rights, not to create these rights, to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, right? So the point of origin is God, the Creator, but governments are instituted among men to secure these rights, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundations on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them may seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. It goes on to discuss the cautions of uh, getting rid of any form of government for light or transient reasons and, 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 and that that would be a bad thing. But understand this, that your rights come from God and that the logic that your rights are inalienable because they come from God, from transcendent God, is exactly the reason your rights shouldn't be tampered with. Point being that we accept circular reasoning in certain places where it is where it is reasonable for circular reasoning to be there. I like to use the term self-validating truth. The Declaration used the word self-evident truths. We're, we're, we're talking about the same thing. To call it circular reasoning is sort of like allowing your enemy to name you. It, it it's, it's a pejorative. It's an attempt to redefine and misdefine you so that before people have even heard you out, that they are ready to dismiss anything you have to say. So I don't like to use the term circular reasoning, but I have to because most folks are more familiar with that than they are the discussion of self-validating truth or even self-evident truth discussed in the Declaration of Independence. That's very sad, particularly when you consider what is at stake. Now, this is usually the part of the show where I try to discuss relationship and our relationship with God. But in order to do that, I have to show you a contrast. When you deal with unexamined assumptions where those without God are free to engage in circular reasoning, they'll misdefine what we believe to be circular reasoning so that they can so that they can dismiss anything that we say thereafter. It's a way of canceling someone's voice, and that is a dangerous thing. But I discussed earlier how this is a subversion of the active intellect and the free will. It's a form of brainwashing. We see the same thing um, when we've heard the stories about uh, the brainwashing tactics that would go in, in uh, POW camps during Vietnam. Um, it is brainwashing. Our educational system um, has gone bad. While they maintain the, the, the claim, the appellation that they are the intellectuals and that somehow we are the anti-sciencers, they actually only maintain that position by how they redefine terms. And now we're at a point where high school graduates, well, at one point they could barely read the diploma that, that, that they were being given. And now we've got people that are, that are paying for college for jobs that don't exist to the point, to the degree that even on the secular news, they're begging the question, um, is it worth it? Is it worth your while to even go to college? Well, if you're talking about a college, 
uh, that has turned itself into a propaganda arm, a brainwashing arm, a conditioning that is more about indoctrination than it is about education, then no. Why would you pay for such a thing? How foolish of us to pay for something that does us damage. But this is the problem, is that we've been in this system so long that we have started to manifest symptoms of Stockholm Syndrome, that we would rather defend the one who's abusing us than exposing their abuse as abuse. There's several reasons why this happens. Part of it's on the surface of it. The interference with free will agency by the means of frustrating your active intellect. If they destroy your ability to reason, then they destroy your ability to reason properly, to ask the questions that are relevant to you, to your rights, which is really interesting because as we get further into the Declaration of Independence, where the indictment against King George III of England was that he has, or one of the indictments was that he has refused to pass other laws for the accommodation of large districts of people unless those people would relinquish the right of representation in legislature, a right inestimable to them and formidable to tyrants only. He has called together legislative bodies in places unusual, uncomfortable, and distant from the depositories of their public records for the sole purpose of fatiguing them into compliance with his measures. I find that really, really interesting because what was happening with the founding fathers in terms of government has been happening in our educational systems in ways that are formidable to tyrants only, but are of value inestimable to us because it represents the very freedom of thought. The other principle of fatiguing them into compliance, fatiguing them into submission, When you bypass someone's active intellect, you have tried to subvert their free will because it's only by your active intellect, if you have the information, if you have the education, that then you can make a proper decision about things. But when the supposedly self-evident fact is that we came into being as a product of random chance, dead matter... Uh, that we arose from baser animals to what we are now, when you've redefined what it means to be human as something that is unhinged from the divine, that is unhitched from the blessing of God upon us, while the elites maintain their rights, then the common man, by supposed education, has really been indoctrinated into being nothing more than oxen. Brainwashing in its ultimate form leads invariably to Stockholm Syndrome. This is because the active intellect has been frustrated into paralysis. Free will has been intimidated into submission. Social pressure of peers threatens to isolate, negating one's voice. And the only safety seems to be alignment with our very oppressors, our very captors. To this point and to this end, Thomas Jefferson spoke succinctly. He said, I have sworn upon the altar of God eternal hostility against every form of tyranny over the mind of man. We will take a short break, and in the final segment, we'll wind things up.
the issue with circular reasoning is not that it is only and always a bad thing, is that it is a very specific thing. And anytime you take a, a type of reasoning outside of its context, you can expect that to then be a bad thing. But when we start to deal with the beginning of the universe, outside and before time, when we start to consider the aspect of an uncaused cause, whether you accept evolution or whether you accept the God of the Bible, you should expect, actively expect, to start seeing things that look more like circular reasoning, precisely because they are an uncaused cause. That is the very definition of what we're talking about. But you don't escape that by rejecting Christianity. You run headlong into it. And in fact, your problem is worse because now all of the order, all of the life, consciousness, everything that you know and, and the means by which you know it in the universe, all of a sudden has to arise by accident. It has to emerge out of chaos, and there's no explanation for how nothing comes to be a thing, and then how that chaotic nothing self-orders when information theory tells us that order arises out of a mind, and that everything that follows thereafter looks like it was created by an intelligent designer, but wasn't. Why would it look like it was created by an intelligent designer if it wasn't? What's the overarching thing that causes it to look like order, that causes it to look like something that's intelligible? My contention is because it is. And instead of trying to frustrate you into submission with hidden assumptions, I lead into this straight out. And so does scripture. The contrast of the God of the scripture is that he imparts free will for the purpose of its use, up to and including the free will acceptance or rejection of God himself. Are there consequences for decisions? Of course there are. If there were no consequences, then there would be no benefits. So there will always be a consequence for any action that you take. That doesn't negate your free will. It validates your free will because now when you chart a course, you can actually arrive at a destination that you chose. That's free will by definition. But this also begs the question, if God is so respectful of man's free will, then what is any man or institution of man to tamper with that free will, with the exercise of that free will. And they do tamper with it. The, the child is not given the option to go to school or not. He's forced to go to school. If you think he's not, there'll be a truant officer at your door, and you're going to have to prove whether that child is in school or not. But the taxes that you pay for the indoctrination, note I say not education, the indoctrination that your child receives ends up being a form of tyranny over the mind of man because of the assumptions that it makes. But a God that antedates time and needs no explanation for his existence. Interesting, I think it is, that an Iron Age religion was sophisticated enough to name their God, I am that I am. He is self-existent. Not self-causing, self-existent. And that he has given us the gift of free will. Why? Why free will? If free will had the potential to cause so much damage, why free will? Because what he wanted from us, what he wanted with us, was relationship. 
he wanted love. And you can only have love in its reality if the love is then and therefore a free will offering. Love, only love can emerge from free will, or I should say love can only emerge from free will. And if it's not from free will, then it's not love. It's something else, which leads us to a serious consideration of God's love, his message, his design and purpose for each of us individually and all of us corporately. It is on the basis of his love, his gifting, and his gentleness with us that speaks powerfully to the validity of his truth, where it, whether it is the truth that we learn in time that has a cause or the truth of his existence, which is outside of time that need no cause because it had no beginning. I consider that in all of the problems and circumstances of life that we try to work our way through and understand the reasons why and manipulate the outcomes, that there's something deeply precious about being loved. It's not simply an explanation for all of the questions that we asked, or it's not, I should say it's not, a, it's not a silencing of the questions about why and the problems of the world. It's not simply turning the volumes down on that. It is when you are in your sweetheart's arms and she traces a finger through your hair, whispers in your ear that she loves you. It doesn't simply turn the volume down on those problems. It is an answer to those problems. If you've never been in that moment, goodness gracious, I would wish one for you. It is the most blissful moment of Zen that a Christian will ever know. To be held, to be loved, to have that love of your life simply say, shh. It doesn't simply turn the volume down. It is an answer. And if you've ever been in that moment, then you know what it is I'm talking about. It is a moment of absolute truth, and that truth is love. It's an irreducible complexity that answers everything by saying almost nothing. But such is our relationship with God, who finds his ways to speak to us from outside of time by his word that is both ancient and relevant. It's both distant and immediate. I consider in the scriptures when Jesus says, I pray not for these only, but on those that will believe on me through their word. It was you, it was I that he was praying for. He looked through time as only he could and spoke those words for our benefit. And yet all of this was preserved for our benefit, precisely because to God, all times are now. And whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our edification. We need to take that not only theoretically, we need to take that personally. And that goes to rope in another one of my, my points to make, is that every fact of scripture doesn't just educate us. It tells us something about the personality of the God that loved us so much that he would rather die than spend eternity without us. And that he has given us gifts to play out that love in our life, to tell others about him, and to let that influence expand into other people's lives as they, by their free will, will consider the claims of Scripture with their active intellect. And once appropriated by faith in His grace, not only have we received the power to be called the sons of God, but also the comfort 
and the strength to deal with the worst that the world has to throw throw at us, even by such dishonest means as unexamined assumptions. Because by the power of God in us and in our lives now, by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to know truth and to identify the lie when it's given to us and know that because of that, that is an evidence of God in our lives and that we are in his arms. There's a favorite poem of mine that speaks to the purpose found in such troubling moments that looks beyond the immediate circumstances and believes in a meaning behind and beyond that. And it's by Rainier Maria Rilke. This is an excerpt from uh, Letters to a Young Poet. How shall we be able to forget those ancient myths that are at the beginning of all peoples? The myths about dragons that at the last moment turn into princesses. Perhaps all the dragons of our lives are princesses. We're only waiting to see us once beautiful and brave. Perhaps everything terrible is in its deepest being something helpless that wants help from us. So you must not be frightened if a sadness rises up before you larger than you had ever seen. If a restiveness like light and cloud shadows passes over your hands and over all you do, you must think that something is happening with you, that life has not forgotten you, that it holds you in its hand. It will not let you fall. Be blessed in this week to come and remember that truth exists, it can be known, and he is seeking you.